excursion to the mountaintop. We're doing a series on the Sermon on the Mount. One of the, the things that we try to do during the summertime is to give other people opportunity to be able to teach and minister. And uh, we are thrilled to have Wayman Bishop this morning to be able to bring the Word of God. So come on up here, my friend. <laughs> Off to a good start there. <laughs> do you want the handheld or do you want to use this? Okay, all right. don't want to... So, uh, Father, we thank you for Wayman. We thank you for the, the Word of God that is, that is mightily within this man. We thank you, Father, that as he shares his heart, shares the Word of God, that God is be so rich. We receive it this morning in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, um, boy, it is on, isn't it? This is uh, this is a uh, great time for our church. You know, God is uh, He has revealed so many things to us in the last couple of years, and I am uh, with my wife just so blessed to be a part of this experience. Um, this lady in yellow here is is my wife. I want to clarify that Meredith is not my wife. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, in this in this season, um, Barbara feels like she has been called to be a caregiver for my 94-year-old mother who lives with us, and so it's almost impossible to find someone to stay with her on Sunday. So Barbara has stepped up to that. So I have been here many, many Sundays by myself, and Meredith always comes in and sits down next to me, which is a wonderful thing. And so, you know, uh, during the welcoming part where, where Doug says, okay, uh, give somebody a big hug, well, Meredith and I just hug each other. <laughs> and, you know, after about six or seven weeks of that, I told Meredith, you know, um, we've got to stop doing this <laughs> because people will think that you are my wife. I love Meredith, but she is not my wife. <laughs> you know, Barbara and I have been so blessed this weekend. Um, our house has just been um, full of God's presence because of these two amazing people that, um, who are our great friends from Baltimore. Um, they have spent the weekend with us, and um, I was not certain about their church experience. And so the more I talked to them about the things that they believe and the things that they have experienced and the things that they have seen at their church, the more comfortable I have been um, bringing them to harvest. <laughs> Particularly in light of last week's experience. <laughs> I, you know, I'm just sort of curious. Were there any of you here at church for the first time as a visitor last week that have returned? No. Okay. Well, (laughs) 
But, uh, but Joanne and Augustus Reese uh, from uh, Baltimore are such an amazing man and woman of God, and they have so blessed us this weekend with their presence in our home. And so at, after the service is over, come up and uh, talk to them. Rub up against them because uh, they have so much to share, and we have really benefited from their presence in our home. Before I start, I'd like to give a testimony. Uh, I love this church. Barbara and I came to Harvest five years ago at the tender young age of 63. And I had been a teacher in a Baptist church for over 15 years. But I was a teacher who only had words. And so I was puffed up in that. A a teacher who only has words is puffed up. I did not know what I did not know. And when when Barbara and I stood up here five years ago being welcomed to harvest as new members, I had absolutely no idea what we were getting ourselves into. It has been a white-knuckle flight. It's only recently that the blood has returned to my knuckles. (laughs) I'm at home. And, you know, I I sat here last week with this amazing grin on my face. Sort of a bittersweet experience because there was a part of me that was suffering for the people who who were here for the first time. Because I was there. I mean, you know... The first time things got crazy at harvest, I told Barbara, I said, you know, I don't know about this. (laughs) And I love the the way Rifle describes it. It's it's like he, he, it's a disclaimer. For those of you who are here for the first time today, you you may think we are crazy. Well, the truth is we are. We are crazy in love with Jesus. But I have a confession to make. Uh, There was a spirit of hypocrisy in me when I first came to Harvest because I was so distracted by Chip. Where is Chip? Chip's not here today. He's in Mexico. Good. Because many of you who know Chip and have gone to our church for any length of time at all know that he, when he is overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit, he just starts laughing uncontrollably. And I was so distracted by that. And I told Barbara, I said, you know, I, I just don't know that I can, I can be in a place to receive the things that God has to say to me with all of that going on. And so we talked about it, and we prayed about it, and talked about it, and suddenly, Holy Spirit said to me, man, you are such a hypocrite. You know, you left this church, not this church, but the church that we left. We left that church because we did not have the freedom to worship the way we wanted to. So we finally come to a church where everybody else is worshiping the way they want to, and we're offended. 
So the Holy Spirit just, boom, knocked me down. So it took us a while. So last Sunday I'm sitting there grinning because this is such an amazing church. This is hallowed ground. This is where the presence of the Lord overwhelms every cubic inch. This is where angels flock. This is where the truth is released. The, the, the signs and wonders and miracles that we have all experienced in this place is a testimony to the work of the Lord in this church. And uh, this ride that Barbara and I have been on in this church for the last five years has just been amazing. Good. It's been amazing. I have seen Jesus in so many people in this church. And and before I understood what that meant, that was a that was a hard teaching for me. But you know, I see Jesus in my pastor and in his wife every time I am in their presence. I am humbled. I'm overwhelmed. I know that comes as a surprise to you, Doug, but (laughs) it is the truth. You know, um, I know many of you have read Bill Johnson's books and have been in his presence, have have, uh, benefited from his teachings. And he says that we are called not to represent Jesus, but we are called to re-present Jesus. And and the difference is not subtle. If you represent Jesus, you're saying, this is Jesus. Abide in him and he will abide in you. When you re-present Jesus, you say, this is Jesus. This is Jesus. Now, Scott can say that and get away with that. I, I still struggle with that. But I, here's what I do know. I know that Jesus is in me. The promised gift of the Holy Spirit has been received. I am sealed and guaranteed for eternity. But it is still, nonetheless, a hard teaching. So there are places that I go in Scripture that make it easier for me to understand what it was heretofore that I didn't know I didn't know. And representing Jesus was a very foreign idea to me. I'm still not, not completely comfortable with that, but I know that the more that I hang out with Doug and Cindy and others the more I know I will become comfortable with that. So before we get into the lesson, the Sermon on the Mount, I just want to talk to you about some of the verses in Scripture that I go to when I 
begin to have some concerns about the things that are fundamental to my faith. And so these are the places that I go in Scripture um, to be strengthened. And so I just want to share these with you. I pray and I meditate over these verses from the Word over and over and over again. And they bring great strength and comfort. The first, coincidentally, happens to be from the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus is teaching those who are gathered around him how to pray. And he says, when you go to your secret place, pray like this. He didn't say, if you go. He said, when you go. Implicit in that is a command. Pray. And when you pray, pray like this. And in that prayer, Jesus teaches us, Father, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, for 63 years I prayed that prayer and never knew what that meant. I never knew that what I was doing was praying heaven down to earth so that there would be a manifestation of the kingdom of heaven in my life on earth right now. Heretofore, the the theology that I cleave to was the kingdom of heaven doesn't come to you until you die. And so until then, you just hang on. You wring your teeth, you wring your hands, gnash your teeth, and just hang on until it's all over, and then the kingdom of heaven is yours. But we we are taught by Doug and Rifle and Jason and Skip that the kingdom of heaven is now. Is here, and all of all of the glory and benefit of the kingdom is ours for the offering. So we don't have to wait. That was new to me. That was very new to me. And and man, you know, in the last in the last first five years of my life, um, it has been a very powerful and up, uplifting experience for me. The second verse is from John 14, where Jesus says that you have seen the things that I have done, and you will do greater things than these. I read that verse so many times over and over again. I taught from it and never really knew what that meant. I never really knew that in in receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit, I receive power and authority to do greater things than Jesus did. I would have thought earlier in my life that that was arrogance, spiritual arrogance, to think that I could do greater things than Jesus. But again, implicit in that is a command. Jesus is saying, you will do greater things. And and then Jesus says in John in several places, Abide in me, and I will abide in you. I I never really stopped to pray and meditate on what that meant. What does it mean to abide in Christ? There is in that verse, in those two verses in in John, 
both a command and a promise. Abide in me is the command, and I will abide in you is the promise. So abide, what does that mean? Jesus is saying, dwell in me, and I will dwell in you. Reside in me, and I will reside in you. Suffer with me, and I will suffer with you. Follow me, and I will lead you. So I take great comfort in knowing that in those simple verses there is both a command and a promise. And I stand on that promise. And then in Romans 12, verses 1 through 3, Paul says that there is a way for us to understand and know the perfect and prove the perfect will of God. And that is through the transformation of our minds, changing the way we think. In my previous life as a Baptist, once again, I thought it was arrogance to believe that I could know and prove the perfect will of God in my life. Now I view that as a command. I have no choice. You know, my job in the kingdom on earth is to prove the will of God. And the only way I can do that is to change the way I think. And, you know, Rifle, <clears throat> who is a great teacher, um, said a couple of weeks ago, the whole purpose of the teachings that Jesus presents to us in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is to change the way we think. And so if you enter into a study of those verses with your mind open to change the way you think, if you do that often enough, the message will go from your head to your heart. And you will begin not to just understand, but you will begin to be the message, which is like being Jesus. Representing Jesus. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul is saying uh, nothing is impossible. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. How is it that I can do all things through Christ? who strengthens me. I have to go back. The gift of the Holy Spirit has been received. How many of you have received the gift of the Holy Spirit? And in the raising of your hands, there is a confession. (laughs) There is a confession. You're not just declaring to the world and the circumstances in your life and to the enemy that you have received the gift of the Holy Spirit, but you are also saying, I now have power and authority. I have power and authority over the circumstances of my life in a fallen world. And I have power and authority. I have authority over all of the power of the enemy 
and no harm will come to me. That's another verse that's, that's really fundamental to my faith. That Jesus, through His Spirit in me, has given me power over all of... I'm sorry, has given me authority over all of the power of the enemy and no harm will come to me. And what that means is <clears throat> that God always takes responsibility for the consequences of our obedience. Let me say that again. God always takes responsibility for the, account, for the consequences of our obedience. So how many of you have ever been in a, in a situation that you know without a doubt that God has placed you in, in this place, in this time, for a specific person to sow into a person's life, either to pray for them or to speak words over them, you know it and you don't do it. And you turn and walk away. I, I've done that a lot. In, in almost every occasion, the Holy Spirit has rebuked me. Man, you really missed that opportunity. That was, that was a slow pitch. You could have knocked that out of the park. And you blew it. And so, so when I, when I see these opportunities so clearly before me and I fail to respond with the power and authority that I know that I have been given through the gift of the Holy Spirit, it makes me just a little bit more keenly aware of the next opportunity. And the reason, I mean, let's be honest, the reason that we don't respond is because we aren't spiritual risk takers. We aren't willing to step out. We're concerned about somebody rebuking us, somebody laughing at us, God not showing up, God not responding to our prayers. How do you explain when you pray for someone and they aren't healed? That's not your problem. But God always takes responsibility for the consequence of our obedience. So we need not be concerned about those things. We, not be con we need not be concerned about the risk. We just step into the opportunity. We, we say what we hear the Father saying, and we do what we see Him doing. You know, one of the, the amazing things about uh, our journey at Harvest over the last five years is that the veil has been lifted and we've been given eyes to see the things that have been hidden from us for 60-odd years. And, and that's an amazing thing. I mean, I mean that's, fundamentally, that's what faith is. And when I, when I think that I have lived the majority of my adult life without faith, that's a pretty scary thing. I offer this testimony to you because I would not want for you to be my age and suddenly come to the revelation that there is more, so much more. So how many of you have read the teachings in John where where Jesus says, <clears throat> drink my blood and eat 
my flesh. And so he says that. I wish that I had been there. Because I know that he looked out, you know, he was teaching in the synagogue to a bunch of stiff-necked Jews, and he said, in order to receive the kingdom of heaven, you have to drink my blood and eat my flesh. He said it the second time. And then, as if to, to add insult to injury, he says it a third time, eat my flesh and drink my blood. So when that was all over, Jesus and his disciples leave. And the disciples are over in the corner huddled up, and he hears one of them say, Man, that's a, that's a hard teaching. And he goes over to him and he says, Do you not understand what I'm saying? Jesus had a way of getting to your heart, getting to our hearts by offending our minds. Offend the mind, go straight to the heart. That's not an original thought. I heard that from Bill Johnson. <laughs> but it makes sense. I didn't understand it until I prayed and meditated over these verses in Scripture. So there are a lot of hard teachings in Scripture. And every time I come across a teaching that I, that I think is for someone else and not for me, I hear Jesus say, are you offended by this? Do you not understand? And then I go back and read it again. And there is in the Sermon on the Mount four hard teachings that I want to touch on in the next three minutes. (laughs) (laughs) The first is in uh, chapter 5, verse 37, where Jesus says, Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Now, Jesus is teaching about oaths. But when I pray and I meditate over these words, let your yes be yes and your no be no, the message that I'm getting from Jesus is do not equivocate. Compromise is a concept that has become so much a part of our culture. I mean, if if you were, for example, to sit down and read the Constitution of the United States, you see that it provides for government of compromise. That works in the world. It does not work in the kingdom. And so here... You know, here's the lesson. Jesus is saying to me, do not equivocate, do not compromise on biblical principles. If you say you have a biblical worldview, have a biblical worldview. Do not compromise on these principles, on the things that I have taught you. How many of you would agree with this statement? Life is the exclusive domain of God. Do you believe that? The giving and taking of life is exclusively God's domain. Now, you may may question how life ends, but nonetheless, the giving of life is exclusively God's domain. So we have in our culture today 
and I, you know, I, I don't know where all of you stand on this issue, but there are those who believe that a woman has the choice, the freedom of choice, to make decisions regarding reproduction, that that is exclusively her choice. And they call themselves, and I'm not being critical here, this is just the truth, they say, I am pro-choice. And then there are those who say, no, that's exclusively the domains of the Lord, and they say, I am pro-life. The truth is, one is pro-death, and the other is pro-life. And we have equivocated on that issue by calling it pro-choice. This has become the law of the land in our country. It has become the law of the land in our country. So, so when our government legislates something that is antithetical to God's will for his people and is antithetical to, to that which is exclusively his domain, that puts us in an uncomfortable place, to say the least. So, so the question is, what is the truth? I mean, we could, we could sit here for the next hour and we can make a list of all of the issues that face us in our country today. Not just in our country, but in the world today. And we could identify one extreme position as opposed to the other extreme. And then we could ask ourselves, what is the truth? The truth is not the compromise. It is not the equivocation. The truth is in the Word. The lowest form of truth, I heard it said one time, is fact. Fact is the lowest form of truth. If you live long enough, you will see facts change. There is an arrogance in our scientific community which gives, for example, astronomers the right to name a heavenly body that they have discovered after themselves. When in fact what has happened is God has chosen that person at that time to see something that he has chosen to reveal to them. And that is the truth. I mean, just recently, Pluto, all of you are familiar with Pluto, the planet, Pluto has been taken off the list of planets. What's that all about? Where's the truth in that? Is Pluto a planet or a star? What? Yeah. So, but I grew up with the fact that Pluto was a planet. Now I'm confused. How many times has the American Medical Association changed its mind about eggs? It is a scientific fact that if you eat eggs, you will die before you're 40. And, you know, I've been eating eggs all my life. 
despite the fact that they will kill me. But the American Medical Association, you know, the most, the most esteemed body of, of learned physicians have changed their mind at least a dozen times in my lifetime about the value of eggs. And they say that is fact. That is scientific fact. I only mention those things to, to emphasize the point that fact is the lowest form of truth. So what then is the highest form of truth? Well, one would say the Word. The Word is not the highest form of truth. Jesus is the highest form of truth. So, you know, when we find ourselves in a position where we where we have this fleshly tendency to find the easy way out of a debate. And we look for the opportunity to equivocate, to compromise. Ask yourself the question, where would Jesus fall on this issue? How would Jesus vote? How would Jesus respond to the poll? Love your enemy. That is a hard teaching. <coughs> Excuse me. I grew up in a culture in the Marine Corps that was diametrically opposed to that. The culture I grew up in, grew up in as a young adult was Find him and kill him. Close with the enemy and destroy him. That was the propaganda that I grew up with. I mean, that was my job as a Marine. Go find the enemy and kill him. And so Jesus comes into my life and he says, love your enemy. Well, how in the world am I going to kill him and love him at the same time? Barbara and I went to dinner with some friends of ours in San Diego. And he was, uh, he was, this couple, they were very uh, anti-war. And so we were sitting at the dinner table. He knew I was in the Marine Corps. He was a um, um, department store manager. And he said, are you a Christian? And I said, yes, I'm a Christian. Well, how can you be a Christian? and serve in the military. I don't understand that. The debate that ensued was so heated that Barbara and I had to get up and leave. Um, so Jesus says, love your enemy. He goes on further to say, what credit is it to you to love someone that is easy to love? You know, teenagers and really old people are the hardest people to love. (laughs) But the fact is, they are the people who most need the most love. So Jesus would say, what credit is it to you to love someone that is easy to love? Well, it sure is easier 
But he says, love people who are hard to love. And there will be such amazing release and freedom in your life when you do that. But it is nonetheless a difficult teaching. It is a hard teaching. Like, eat my flesh and drink my blood. Love your enemies. And then in Matthew 5, Jesus says, be perfect like your Father in heaven is perfect. Yeah, right. (laughs) Be perfect. My pastor knows that I am not perfect. You know I'm not perfect. What? You know I'm not perfect either. (laughs) Yes, you are. You better be. (laughs) So what what does Jesus say? What does he mean when he says, be perfect like your Father in heaven is perfect? Well, is that something I should strive for? Striving results in works. My perfection will not be judged by my works. My my perfection will be judged by the condition of my heart. Do I have to wait until I die and go to heaven to proclaim that I am perfect like my Father in heaven? Well, you know, these are rhetorical questions. I'm not really sure that I have the answers for them. I mean, perfection is a very difficult thing to achieve. But nonetheless, it's a difficult teaching. Eat my blood. Eat my flesh. Drink my blood. Be perfect. Now, this is a little easier. And I know that there are many of you who have gotten on top of this. Jesus says, do not worry. I know that none of you in here worry about anything. Paul says that Jesus said to him when he went to him with his affliction, my grace is sufficient for you. And in your weakness, you will find my strength. So do not worry. I think what Jesus is saying, that worrying is an act of disobedience. It's a demonstration of our lack of trust in God's plan for our lives. He prays for us that we, that we will receive the fullness of God. How can that be if we worry? So I will close by, by just saying that when you come across verses in Scripture like these, be perfect, don't worry, love your enemies, go back to the verse in Scripture where Paul says, all things are possible through Christ who strengthens me. And ask yourself the question, what then is the source of my strength so that all things are possible, so that I can be an overcomer in the circumstances of my life? The source of that power and authority is in the gift of the Holy Spirit received and the power and authority that comes with that. So let me just pray 
over all of you. Father, I just give thanks for this day. I give thanks for your blessing in our lives. I give thanks for this church. I give thanks for our pastors and their wives. I give thanks for the words that you have spoken over us through them, Father. I just, I just give thanks for the blessings to come. And I would just pray peace in our hearts and in our homes and at our dinner tables and in our places of work. I just pray that your peace, Father, that goes so far beyond anything that we could possibly understand would invade the circumstances of our lives, lift the veil, open our eyes to see the wonder of your goodness that abounds everywhere we go. I just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our prayer team, I would invite you to come forward.